Good morning. It's wonderful to see some familiar yet long time missing faces in here. I'm so glad to see so many here. Welcome to worship here. It's Sunday, February the 7th. I've got actually a lot of announcements, so we'll, we'll get through these quickly. Uh, reminder, we are having a hymn sing time following worship. You are welcome to stay, but if you're uncomfortable with that, you, I will be at the back door saying howdy to all you as we head out. Sunday school started this morning. Thank you so much to Brother Mike who, who started that today. We'll be continuing that at 9.30 in the fellowship hall for the, at least the foreseeable future. Commission and committee meet, executive committee meeting this, it says Tuesday on here, it's on Wednesday night at 7 and 7.40 again here in the building. Special request from the worship committee, we are continuing to look for folks who are willing to share their talents in music for special music here. It doesn't have to be singing, it could be instruments or, you know, if you have a piece of poetry or something you would like to read, I am more than happy to have you come up in here and read it. Just let the, executive, let the worship commission know. Bible study. We have finished the book of Hosea. We are taking a break from the prophets and moving into the gospels for a bit. We're going to have some time to kind of delve in and discuss the parables. Our first two parables we're going to be doing, it's going to be out of Luke. New wine and old wine skins in Luke 5, and the uh, wise and foolish builders in Luke 6. You're all invited to join that. That's a Zoom Bible study meeting on Tuesday night. The meetings start at 7. Are there any other announcements you wish to share? Well, as we move into our time of sharing, I have a message from Karen, the daughter of our sister Rose, who passed away this last week. Mom and I are so incredibly grateful for the love and friendship of our church family. As I cleaned out Mom's room, I found so many cards from all of you. Your greetings and remembrances were so special. And Renee, you especially share your sentiments in such a lovely way. Many thanks also to Cindy for being with us on Wednesday. Mom is now rejoicing in heaven, first with her Lord and Savior, second with her family, and third with her many friends. I can imagine that it may be the first time ever that she is dancing. I am so happy for her. Please continue to keep my brothers and me in your prayers. God bless you all. Are there any other joys or concerns you'd like to share with the group? Well, I, I have one to share this week. Um, my wife's uncle, George, uh, went into the hospital um, the day before last. They're unsure of the exact reason, whether it was a stroke or something else. Um, so he's currently in the hospital, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Quiet group this morning. If you'll join me as we enter this time of worship, listening to the music.
you'll pray with me. Gracious Creator, we come to you this day with many things on our hearts. We pray for those who are undergoing or getting ready for surgeries, for those preparing for chemo, for those preparing for radiation, for those preparing for the many different procedures that we know are going on among our family and friends and community. We pray for those who are healing, for bodies that get better. We pray for those who are tired and sore from work, from everyday work, from the work of keeping your household nice in these times of harsh weather. We lift up our brothers and sisters who are suffering in the cold, who are suffering from empty stomachs. We ask that we are there for them in the way that you call us to be, and that your love and presence is known in them. And we lift up our brothers and sisters who are sad, who are missing, who are mourning. We ask that you hold them close, to let them know that you are there, that loved ones who have gone on to be with you are happy, are relieved, are whole, and that their love still remains on this planet with us. We ask, gracious Creator, Father, that you walk with us in our everyday lives, that you hold us up, that even though we step out onto a life that has snow and ice on the path in front of us, that you grab our shoulders as we slip and you pick us up when we fall. Amen. I forgot to put it in the back, but today is the two-cent offering, and I'll be taking that back with me at the end of worship. Before I read today's scripture, I am tried writing my sermon in a different way than I usually do, and I hope it goes well, but please bear with me if I blunder a little. Our reading today comes from Mark 6, 1 through 6, and just the keep this in context, this is at the end of the miracles section that we worked in last week, just after uh, Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that he's been given? What are these remarkable miracles he's performed? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, of Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't these his sisters here? 
and they took offense at him. Jesus then said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Blessed is the word. Many of you have probably played this game, whether you've put a name to it or not. I know my parents certainly have played the game, and I have certainly played the game. It's called the Brethren Game. Or if you're Mennonite, it's called the Mennonite Game. It's whenever you meet somebody else from the denomination, and as you stand there in the back of the church, you start naming acquaintances, pastors, friends, families, churches, camps, all these different brethren things until you reach a connection with that person. Because inevitably, if you are a brethren of several decades or more, you probably have these connections between you and this new person. The same thing in the Mennonites. The game's not the best game in the world, I will fully admit. It creates barriers to those coming into the church because obviously you don't have the connections. Something we need to be careful with. But at the same time, it draws these basic foundations between people. All of a sudden, you know something about them. Oh, they're my third cousin thrice removed. Or, oh, you, your old pastor was, you know, my grandfather's best friend. All of a sudden, we got these connections. For a short period of time when I was between jobs, I attended a church called Mountville, Church of the Brethren. And this older couple took us out to eat, and I discovered after some conversations with them that when they lived in Baltimore, they used to help a younger couple out. That younger couple is the music leader at my home church back in Huntington. That was weird, but not the weirdest one I have. The weirdest one I had happened when I was still in college. Now I was part of the, the concert choir. And we took a tour every other year. So this year's tour, um, we went all the way out to a little place called Shickley, Nebraska. If you haven't heard of it, I'm not surprised. I checked out on like the internet just recently to see where they were currently on the census and it's about 340 people. So it's pretty small. Which might lead you to the question, why did you go all the way out to Shickley, Nebraska as a part of a choir tour? It's a small town. It's got a Mennonite and a Brethren church. And one of our members, who happened to be the president of the choir, was from there. So we, we hit up other places. We also sang, for instance, in Marion, Ohio. We were in that area, we needed some place to go, and that's where my grandparents live. Uh, Cincinnati, Columbus, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, St. Louis. We hit a lot of different places on our way out. But we get out there, and as is usual, we were roomed 
with members of the churches. We happened to be roomed in a, one of the families from the Mennonite church. And I was with my very good friend, Kyle. Just call him Kyle B for now. Who's from Quakertown, Pennsylvania, and is a Mennonite. We go in and we shake hands. And, you know, I introduce myself. Kyle introduces himself. They say, oh, where are you from? And, and Kyle goes, oh, I'm from Quakertown. And they go, huh, do you know this person and that person? Well, yes, they're my parents. We used to double date with them when we were growing up. I'm in Nebraska. I'm not just in Nebraska in a big town or anything. I'm in a town where, with the choir staying there that night, we increased the population by nearly 10%. And we ended up rooming with a couple who used to double date with my friend's parents. That's not even where the story ends. We finished our tour. We got back to Pennsylvania. I had a little bit of time left. So I went home to camp. And on Sunday morning, I went with my parents to, my, to Stone Church, my home church. And I walk in, and there's one of my pastors, Dale Dowdy. Well, how are you doing, Andrew? Oh, I'm doing well, Dale. How are you? Doing great. I saw you were in Shickley, Nebraska. I was. Did you see it in, like, did my mom tell you? Oh, no, I still get newspapers from my hometown of Shickley, Nebraska. Ha. Of all the places, it's amazing, these thousands of little threads that bring our communities together. These invisible ones, these connections we've never known about, let alone the connections we do know about. When Jesus goes into his hometown, he's got all of that. I mean, he probably grew up in the same home that his father grew up in, his earthly father and that his father's father, and his father's father, and so on back. Jesus made a name for himself. They knew who he was. They call him the carpenter, though it's a kind of a broad word. It could be construction worker or stonemason, but he, he's someone who made things with his hands in the community. He attended their synagogue with them. He was probably related to most of them. First cousins, third cousins, sixth cousins, 20 times removed. And all of those connections were snapped. I can only think of that pain. What it would be like to go hang out with my best friends from my childhood and to have them all reject me. I think Jesus knew what he was expecting. Well, I mean, he was expecting what happened. I mean, he has that little piece of sage advice ready to go when he sees what happens. I mean, he gets up and he preaches, and they attack him in three different ways. First off, they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this that blue-collar guy? He's not a cleric. He's not a scribe. He's not someone who has been taught the right way. Where is he getting this from? Their second one 
Is, isn't this his brothers? Aren't those his sisters? Why is he raising himself up above his own family? Why is he preaching down to all of us? And his third one is they call him Mary's son, which isn't really an insult. I don't mind being called Jerry's son. I love it. My mom's awesome. But in this time, in this age, you are referred to by your father. To say this is Mary's son is to call back on the fact that Joseph isn't his dad. They don't recognize God as the father of Jesus. So they're saying, isn't this Jesus, the illegitimate child, the one who will inherit nothing? Jesus recognizes trouble. Jesus knows what's happening. And then he, he has that, that phrase. A prophet's not without honor, except in his own home, among his family, among his community. I actually know this is somewhat true. I've, you know, one of my side effects of growing up and being, going to lots of different churches uh, as part of, you know, we, we knew all of the pastor's kids in the district. And if there's one place a pastor is not respected, it's by the pastor's kids. Gracie, if you're watching. She's too young to be a PK yet, but she'll get there. And then we're told something really strange. Jesus can't perform miracles or could not. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, it, it seems to say that in order for Jesus to perform a miracle, there has to be a two-way street. Not only does Jesus have to be there and willing to do it, but there has to be faith on the other side. Now, whether that means that literally the miracle cannot happen without the other person having faith, or whether it's kind of a more of a thing like, there's no one coming to Jesus for a miracle. They're rejecting him even more. He only lays his hand on a few people to heal them, and everyone else is ignoring him, walking away, refusing to believe in these miracles that they themselves even mentioned back in the verses. And just like it opened up where they were amazed by Jesus, and amazed here being a term of upsetness, of disgust, of annoyance, Jesus too is amazed, disgusted, annoyed by their lack of faith. It's true. You can't go home again. The old adage goes, it's true. I can't go home again. If I did, if I go to where my, you know, I can consider like home, my parents' house, it's not the same. My brothers are both gone. And if I go, I'll have my daughter and my wife, my responsibilities are different. I'm not going to be just running about the woods playing with my brothers like I once did. That home is gone. I can't recapture that. Because I've changed. Life has changed. For some people, it changes even more. Jesus hasn't been in home for a while. 
Now, Mark's a pretty short book, but it still covers three years. And some point in here, Jesus has left before the book even starts. He leaves Nazareth, he goes, he's baptized, and then he settles in Capernaum, a nearby town. And that's where he's been preaching and teaching and performing these miracles. In the eyes of the people back in Nazareth, Jesus has changed. I don't know if that's true or not. It may be that Jesus is just a lot more vocal now. But to them, he's different. And for them, they don't like it. This isn't the boy they remember. This isn't the carpenter they remember. This is someone who's speaking with authority, telling them how to live their lives, and they take offense at it. They reject him. They push him away. What is this saying for us? One of the things I increasingly find as I encounter Jesus in the Bible, as I encounter the Bible, is the acceptance that if one thing is true for this, then it's got to be true in other areas. So, for instance, if the Son of God is led away from his community, his family, his childhood friends, to take a different path, to do a different job, and that certainly must be true for all of us. That at any time, God can lead us down a different path away from everything we thought we knew. Something we just aren't expecting. But God's calling is more important. And we have to place our trust in God. Trust that the fruits that we grow are what God has asked us to grow. Not that they're the fruits that everyone else wants. Sorry, this isn't the economy we're used to. It's not about demand. It's about expectations of God. And as I have often read, remember last year, coming on this point again and again, especially in Matthew, because Matthew loves to talk about the crowds. Sometimes we get to be the disciples. Sometimes we get to be in Jesus' spot. But it's just as likely that we are in the spot of the crowds, that we are in the spot of the people of Nazareth who are sitting in their synagogue listening to Jesus preach. If that's the case, what are we biased against? Whose voice are we unable to hear? Whose works are we unable to see? Because they're that kid we watched grow up. Because they're the one that we remember they made this mistake or that mistake. How are we rejecting the fruits that God has grown through another? I had a discussion with another pastor not too long ago, one who has come to the Brethren through a life's journey. He really does not like the Brethren game. 
he feels left out of it because he doesn't know a lot of these people. For him, it just reminds him he's not part of the group. I'm going to have a hard time giving up the brethren game because it's just what I grew up with. It's what I'm used to. It's what I like making connections with. But I recognize it clouds my vision. It throws off how I see people. It puts on preconceived notions, and it sometimes builds walls. I got to be ready, ready to see where God is going to lead me next and to be open to where God is leading others, and to let go of my preconceived notions, to let go of what I think is happening and just be ready for wherever God is going to lead me. Even if it's away from home. Thank you. As many of you know, I love Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. They're two of my favorite authors and theologians. And this is the quote that came to mind. I had to look it up to make sure I had it right. This is spoken, um, this is spoken as a quote from Bilbo to Frodo. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. It's true. You step out, of the path, out onto the path, into the road of life, and you have no idea where God's going to lead you. Maybe it will be back to home, but maybe it'll be to a new home where God calls you to. Maybe it'll be to open up your home to someone else, to wherever God is calling them. So watch out where you set your foot this week. Amen.